Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marchalina. I'm joined once again by Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing? Doing great tonight, Joe. How are you? I am hanging in there. I'm uh, I'm, I'm just about uh, ready to start crunching numbers and, and figuring out scenarios for the rest of the week or what's going to happen uh, as we enter the last week of uh, the regular season here for football. Yeah, it is that time, and thank God. You're the one with the math skills. You don't want me doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm the one with the math skills who spends three hours on something, thinks he's, <laughs> thinks he's got it done, and then realizes I forgot, like, one minute detail. So that's that's why it's going to take me all week to figure some of these these out. But anyway, uh, you can always uh, as, uh, send us questions or feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at at Sports. You can listen to the show Tuesday mornings throughout the football season at nh-highschoolsports.com. And uh, yeah, like I said, this is uh, this is the f- we're coming up on the final week of the high school football season, regular season. Uh, so, well, f- first off, I guess we should give a disclaimer. Uh, we're not going to be talking scenarios and and who needs to win this game and and uh, who needs to win that game unless it's completely obvious. Um, you know, like we said, it, it, there's a lot of uh, a lot of math and, and breakdowns that need to go in. You know, because of the way the football rating works, uh, every game counts. Uh, believe it or not, towards uh, seeding. So there's there's a lot of uh, moving parts. And uh, you know, if you really want to know about all that stuff, I'm going to have more towards the end of the week uh, on the website. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, but today we're gonna you know we're gonna recap last week's games. Of course, take a look at some of the the big games coming up this week. Uh, and before we get to that, we're going to start uh, like we normally do with our uh, players and teams of the week. Uh, so I think, Mike, uh, I think it's your turn to go first. So uh, why, don't you, why don't you hit me with your uh, your player of the week? So I, I, I had I was lucky enough to see a number of games. Uh, it, you know, again, the streaming element really helps out with that. Of course. Uh, and And I was hoping that I could find a player that I had seen you know, I shouldn't say live, but, you know, in person, so to speak, you know, seeing the performance rather than just reading about it or hearing about it. And and I think I found my player. So I'm going to go with Steven Rosario, uh, who's a, a, a really fantastic two-way player for Nashua North. North is, um, as we know, had a big win over Keene this weekend, a, a game that had, I think, and again, you, you kind of said, hey, we're not going to get too deep into the playoff pictures and things but i think a game that probably had a lot of playoff yeah no it did yeah um and both teams knew it because both teams played really hard but um watching that game rosario really impressed me um you know the the north's first drive was really keyed off of his running and it was he's he's a brutal running back i mean he's very strong very powerful um he's got a lot of speed too though and he's very physical um, and North kind of just drove him straight down the field for their first touchdown. It was interesting because then they got away from him a little bit and highlighted some other guys. Um, but when they needed tough yardage or, or certain yardage, they kept going back to him. And he w- it was almost a guarantee against what I think is a pretty good keen running defense. Um, but also he was a he was a really good contributor on the defensive side of the ball as well. You know, that that keen rushing offense is is. Uh, pretty much a meat grinder and if you don't have tough kids on your defensive side of the ball that are you know 
chin straps buckled up and ready to play physical football, you're going to get run over. And I thought Rosario was involved in a lot of, you know, not a lot of individual tackle opportunities on defense right. when an offense like that, but, you know, getting up in there and pushing the pile and, you know, being scrappy and kind of holding that kid to three yards instead of four yards. I mean, that's the difference in that game. Um, so anyway, at the, at the, you know, the risk of rambling on and on about it, um, he really impressed me as sort of a dirt dog, you know, throwback type football player. And, um, and I thought he had a really great game and kind of keyed that victory for them this weekend. Yeah, I had a, had a pair of touchdowns as well in, in what was a 21-18 to 18 win for North. So, yeah, that's uh, that's really key too. And North, you know, their, um, their bye week, their open week is uh, the last week of the season. So they're uh, done with their Division One schedule, finish up at 5-3. and three. Uh, and they play Milford uh, this this coming Friday in a, a non division game that doesn't you know won't count in the standings. So they're they're kind of they they needed that win to kind of give themselves at least a shot of of having uh, maybe a home playoff game uh, when all is said and done. But they'll they'll find that out um, at the end of the week. Have to do a little bit of scoreboard watching maybe uh, during that game. Yep, yep. A Milford team, by the way, who played. Today, this afternoon or Mon- yeah. Monday afternoon, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, Over at uh, Hillsborough during Hopkinson's yeah. Field. So, yeah, interesting. It's been an interesting year weather-wise. It sure, it sure has. I think we've had more Monday. We've had more Monday games. It feels like than Thursday games. And everyone said Thursday games were going to be a big thing. Going to be the thing, because right? Because of uh, the lack of uh, officials. I think we. I think we had five Thursday games. Uh, you know, two and two of them were. You know, four of them were all in, were on the same. Same opening know, two, week. Two one week, two another week, and then another yeah. one. Yeah. Anyway, uh, for my player uh, of the week, I am going with uh, Timberlane's uh, Liam Corman, who had uh, all three touchdowns for the Owls in a 21-6 win uh, over Winnicott. He ran. He scored on runs of 52 and 6 yards, then also had a 35-yard touchdown reception, uh, you know, got the Owls to 3-4 and four in Division One. so really – Help them keep their their playoff hopes alive. They've got a tough one coming up against uh, Portsmouth Oyster River to finish out the year. So um, I, I I don't know again exactly if that win you know gets them in. Um, you know they may need some help. You know especially if uh, going you know going against a tough team uh, like the Clipper Cats. So um, at least for another week they're they're still alive for the playoffs and 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 a big. Part of that, I think, goes to Corman and, and his uh, his big day again with three three touchdowns in that win over uh, Winnicott. Yeah, definitely, and I think he's had to step up a little bit for Timberlane he as has, well. Yeah, because didn't their other big running back get get a little banged yeah, up? Eddie, Eddie DeGiulio, I don't think he's DeGiulio. You know, haven't seen him mentioned. I don't know if he's played since he got banged up against Sauhegan, probably about a month ago at this point. Yeah, um, I I'm, I'm not I'm not yeah I'm not sure about that, but. Uh, yeah, he's course. really had to carry the load yeah. now, as opposed to splitting it with uh, with his teammates. Yeah. So that's another thing, right? I mean, he's easier to key on in those situations in some cases, but still producing big results. I think that speaks well for him. And uh, so on to the teams of the week. Who who did you have for your uh, your team of the of this uh, week eight of football? So I, I think in a game that was maybe one of the best games of the weekend. And, and certainly an important one for this team. I, I took uh, the Dover Green Wave uh, for having a, a 28-27 overtime victory 
uh, over a, a very scrappy, I think somewhat underrated Concord team. Yeah. Um, you know, came down to an overtime goal line stand uh, from, from what I understood uh, where they basically had to, had to kind of like stop the, the tush push quarterback sneak type play. <laughs> Um, and, and fortunately we're able to get that done, but, um, you know, also, also, I think a big highlight that, that, um, you and I talked about before we got, came on was the performance of, uh, Dover's Amari Lewis, who's a freshman receiver, um, who caught two touchdowns, one to tie the game, 21, 21, uh, with two fourteen left in the game. Um, and then another 10 yard touchdown that he scored on the first play of overtime, um, so huge performance from a freshman wide receiver playing for a very good football team who is now, I think five and two yeah. um, in division play. And they're heading into a pretty big game this week against Exeter who just got, you know, kind of stopped their three, three game skid with a win over Memorial this past weekend and also sits with five wins uh, in, in division play. So that's kind of an interesting game coming up next week. But I think, you know, again, big win for Dover to make it an interesting game and certainly doing it in style with a, you know, a, a big play uh, on offense in overtime and then a, a huge stop on defense to, to turn Concord away at the end of the game there. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry if you just mentioned this, but yeah, Concord was actually up 21 to seven in that game too. I remember that. In yeah. The, in the third quarter and, and Dover came back to tie it. Uh, you know, and it was, uh, yeah, Colby, Colby Nyan for Concord had the uh, touchdown in overtime, uh, but then couldn't, couldn't get in on the, uh, the tush push there, yeah. uh, for the two point conversion with Concord deciding to, uh, to go to, for the win, uh, in overtime. Uh, yeah. And that, yeah, that which keeps... I think by the way is, is the right decision, right? Yeah. You're, you know, you, you've had kind of a, kind of a rough season. You've been banged up some of your key players. Um, yeah, let's go for it, right? We've got nothing else to lose and everything to gain here, so let's go. Yeah. I, I, unfortunately, it didn't work, but I think it's a gutsy call. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100% on that one. It's You're you're at the point of the year where, um, you know, those kind of things you can afford, you know, if you're in Concord's position, you can uh, afford to, to do that, something like that. Yeah, um, take some risks yeah. and have some fun with it. And, um, again, right, didn't work out, and I think, I think that's to Dover's credit, right? It was right. obviously a tooth and nail game and they had to come back at the end and, and again sets up a great great final week matchup between two uh very old rivals over on the seacoast right uh well i decided uh for my team of the week to go with uh, a team from uh, division two um that we haven't uh picked yet and that would be uh the plymouth bobcats who yes. had themselves quite a game uh, out in Dover on, on Friday with uh, with St. Thomas, uh, you know, I felt like I, I kept looking up uh, the score from that one, and it was, you know, either tied or, or a one score game, or pretty close. Um, you know, I think I don't think St. Thomas ever had the lead, but you know they got down um, seven nothing. Plymouth came, or excuse me, came back and tied Plymouth seven seven. Um, got down fourteen seven, came back and tied it at fourteen in the third quarter. And it was, I believe, it was still tied going into, um, yes, it was into the into the fourth quarter, uh, and then uh, 
Plymouth went on a 10-play drive that took up six minutes and uh, and got a touchdown, nine-yard touchdown run from quarterback Luke Diamond to go up 21-14 with 3:51 to go. Uh, and then the, you know they end up adding on another score uh, pretty late there to um, you know to get a 28-14 win over St. Thomas. Uh, Gabe Keane had 117 yards rushing and a touchdown on 14 carries. Um, you know, Plymouth's defense held St. Thomas to 166 yards. And uh, really, I, I guess the biggest part of it is that, you know, Plymouth still has its, uh, you know, controls its own destiny in terms of, you know, getting the number two seed in Division Two. They have a huge game coming up uh, on Saturday at home against Sanborn, which is, you know, sitting a game behind Plymouth in the, in the uh, East Conference standings. You know, the winner of that game, um, I got to imagine, ends up with the, you know, the conference uh, title, so to speak. Yeah. And, and then the number two seed, most likely the number two seed, you know, meeting uh, home games through the first two rounds, um, you know, of the Division Two playoffs. So a huge, huge game on Saturday that, um, you know, Plymouth uh, does itself a huge favor by getting that win over St. Thomas and, and uh, making that game you know, do or die instead of, you know, absolutely needing a win just to keep Sanborn from, from taking that spot. Yeah. A, a matchup, by the way, that years ago, underdog Sanborn right. uh, came out of Plymouth, if I'm not mistaken, on a Monday afternoon, speak Monday game. Um, or I think, well, I think it was a Friday afternoon. Was it a Friday it was, afternoon? Yeah, I, I knew they, they did I think some... they played early because there was weather or maybe officials or something, but yeah, yeah. They, they played like a Friday afternoon instead of a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, and and Sanborn came out of there kind of a, a an underdog winner, um, and it was and it was week nine of that season. That yeah, season, that I, I year do, was the last game of the regular. And and Plymouth, by the way, Joe, I think strangely, like the quietest seven in one team <laughs> in New Hampshire. I, I mean, you just you, you, they've been outstanding all year, with the exception of that one blemish against. Sauhegan, which which seems kind of lopsided given how Plymouth has performed against some of these other teams. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the right team to pick. And and again, kind of like the the discussion we had about Dover sets up a really good matchup this coming week against Sanborn, who themselves have only lost two games, one of which, by the way, was to St. Thomas, who Plymouth just beat. Yeah, it's it's really hard to understand what happened in that um you know that game against Sauhegan, uh was just a strange night with weather-wise and and um, like you said, Plymouth had been, you know, kind of beaten up on everyone else in the in the East, and then to have that kind of game be the outlier, I I, I don't fully understand what happened there, but um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what what plays out on Saturday in that game. Um, you know, and I I kind of wish it was at Sanborn instead of at Plymouth. Uh, yeah just to make it a little easier to get to, but, um, you know, should be a, a really great one. Uh, I think so too. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, before we get into games, um, there is, uh, something I did want to talk about in terms of, of, uh, you know, maybe just give a little explainer on, uh, how some, how playoff standings and seedings and all that are determined. Uh, ha have had a few people reach out, uh, the last uh, couple of days and ask, you know, how do they determine football rating? How do they determine this? So I thought uh, it might be a good idea to just give a quick, um, 
I guess, update on, on how that uh, how that works. Uh, if you're looking to read up on this on your own, uh, it is online on the NHIA's website. If you go to uh, the tab at the top that says About NHIA and then click on Handbook, and then uh, you scroll down and there's a bylaw article 20 that is marked as football, uh, and then it has everything you could want to know right in there. Uh, so basically, football rating for um, you know football rating is different than what the NHIA uses for all its other sports. Um, you know, in other sports, you get like f- I want to say four or five points for a win, and then you know you add up all those points and divide them by the number of of uh, games you played. So it really doesn't take into account um, you know strength of victory or or opponent or anything like that. The football rating is a little bit different. Uh, football rating, there are two parts to it. You get 10 points for every one of your wins. So you've got, let's say, five wins. You, there's 50 points right there uh, for your, your five wins. You also get two points for all of your opponent's wins. So in this, you know, let's say five wins. We were, we were just talking about, uh, who was it, Nashua North uh, a moment ago, right? Um, yep. you know, that they have five wins, um, you know, and, and for every one that they've got, each one has a different, you know, they got the 10 points there, but then there's additional points added onto that. So like this year, you know, they have a win over Keen from this past week. Well, Keen has three wins. So that makes that, that game worth 16 points, you know, your 10 points and then six points for Keen's wins. Uh, they've got a win over Bishop Girton. BG has four wins. That's an 18 point game. Yeah, it makes sense. If you following me? Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> it actually does make sense because it's sure. I remember when I coached, there there were years we used the point system. Yeah. There were years we didn't, and so you had to have some familiarity with it. So so and and then in, in the flip of that, a win over North would be worth twenty points because North has five wins. So basically, then you add up all the, the points from those wins for in North's case, that's seventy two total points. And then you divide it by the number of games you've played. So North has played their full eight games in Division One, so that comes to a football rating of nine points. Now, just because they're done with their Division One schedule doesn't mean that that's the end of their point getting. You know, if any of those teams that they've beaten, Keene, Goffstown, Merrimack, BG, or Nashua South, uh, gets a win in this last week of the season, that adds two more points to North's total. So, like, like Bishop Girton plays Nashua South this week, so North is guaranteed to get two points out of that game because they beat both those teams. Someone's got to win that game, right? Um, so that's that's the football rating and how it works. Uh, for each division, it's different in terms of how everybody's seated. Uh, division one, of course, that you know was new a new setup last year. Uh, the there's 21 teams in the division. 13 of them make the playoffs. The top three seeds are the conference winners. So right now that would be Pinkerton, Bedford, and Portsmouth Oyster River. Those three teams get a bye into the, the quarterfinals. So that means everyone else is seeded four through 13 based on their football rating and would play each other in that first preliminary round with the winners then moving on to face you know th- those top three teams. And then you know there'd be two teams that played opening weekend that would also play each other. Uh, so, and that, that's regardless of conference, it's four through 13 solely based on, on the point rating. 
If the point ratings are, if there's a tie in point ratings, then it goes to the tiebreakers. I am not getting into all of those because I do not want to give anyone even more of a popsicle headache. Uh, right. But there, yeah. That, but that's the that's the key there too. Is is to remember that a tie doesn't come from having the same record. It comes from having the same point rating. That's that's also key to remember. Right. So one team, and we've seen that in the past where right. we've had teams from different, like, for example, from one conference that may not have even had a winning record sometimes gets in over a team in another conference right. that did just because of the, the points accumulated and, you know, who beat up on who and that kind of thing. And actually, I believe that was the case in Division Two last year where Milford finished 5-4 and four and St. Thomas maybe was 4-5 and five but had a better point rating. Uh, than Milford did and was was in the last team into the playoffs or so right. I don't remember if it was Saint, it was somebody like that um, but yeah so in so division two again is different than division one uh, you know with uh, 17 teams in the division this year eight make the playoffs it's broken down into east and west so you have your number one your top two seeds are the conference winners so like right now that would be Pelham would be the one seed Plymouth would be the two seed, and then teams three through eight get in based again on the point rating. Um, that means you could have two teams from one conference, and you know what is it, six teams from the other, or it could be three and five, four and four. Doesn't matter. All that matters is the point rating. Uh, teams are seeded based off that three through eight. Then, and uh, you have your eight team playoff there. And then Division three and four, pretty much the same. Uh, your top four teams in each division get in, and uh, you play, you know, one versus four, two versus three, semifinals. Winner goes on to the finals. Uh, those are also determined by point rating uh, rather than just win, wins and loss records. Yeah, and I got to admit, I do like, I do like that it's purely by point rating system there, as opposed to. You know, if you remember some years ago, um, after one of the realignments, there was a there was a big emphasis on conference, you know, having a cup, you know, whatever number of teams it were out of each conference. Right. So they would say, hey, only the top two right, teams right, in each yeah. conference are going to go and things right. like that. And, you know, again, it's kind of interesting because it's it, it, it sort of emphasizes your conference rivalries and performance within and stuff. But again, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that the best teams in that division in New Hampshire are going to be in the playoffs, which I think is really what you want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, best I, quote unquote. Right. Because there's no way to actually figure that one out. Even the point rating system as it is, is flawed, obviously, because it's common opponents or not. But I still I, that frustrated me. I remember. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you that, that that was tough. I liked the idea of having conference championship games, which is essentially what those were. But, yeah, yes. it was it was tough to do with the with the way everything was was structured then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, ho hopefully that answers some questions and does not create more questions. Uh, but, yeah, I would direct anybody to the, the NHIA handbook to uh, to look if you if you want to dig deeper uh, and, and maybe try to. Uh, uh, figure out the tiebreakers and all that. I, I like I said, I'll be doing some of that myself uh, on the site later this week. So uh, keep an eye out for that if you uh, if you would like to see more. All right, let's uh, let's talk about some games. How about that? Sounds uh, good. To me. 
I think I think the big one, uh, you know, we talked about a couple Division One games from this past week, but the one that really kind of opened, I think, people's eyes was that, um, you know, Central Conference game between uh, Pinkerton and Salem. Uh, you know, we've been talking about Salem, looking at these last two games on their schedule with Pinkerton and Londonderry coming up, and we'd really learn a lot about, you know, just how, how far the Blue Devils had come. And uh, after watching that game and, and reading about that game, I'd say they're, uh, they're maybe a little bit ahead of schedule. Uh, w- would you agree? Yeah, I would. I mean, I, I watched the game too, and um, hard not to be impressed. I mean, we've been talking about Pinkerton a lot this season, but I, I think rightfully so. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's strangely enough, it's been a while since Pinkerton's kind of been one of the clear front runners. They've always been very good but they've been scratching at kind of Londonderry and, and Bedford and some of these other teams that have really risen up over the last couple of years. I, I, I'm just, I continue to be very impressed with them in all three phases of, of the game. And this was a, this was a pretty impressive game against Salem this weekend. You know, they, they got out to what a little bit of a lead Pinkerton did. Uh, and then next thing you know, fourth quarter Salem's storming right back into it. Yes. Uh, just, Oh yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say it, it was a it was a it was a pretty close game, um, and, and Salem's defense, I thought, especially in the first half, really kind of did a good job on Pinkerton. You know, they weren't able to get Morrison and um, and uh, oh, I'm forgetting the other halfback who had the big game against uh, 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 Michaud. Michaud, thank you. Right, I mean he he was lightning the week before in the game that we had against that uh, that they had against Brockton they did a pretty good job containing those guys in the first half. I mean, they were getting their yards and things, but you could tell that their the Salem defense was really disciplined and kind of tuned into what Pinkerton was doing, but it didn't last forever. Right. I, I think, I think, uh, I think they, they really broke out kind of in the second half of the game and sort of took control. Um, but yeah, the Salem offense was as explosive as advertised as well. And I, I saw that, um, Pinkerton got what four rushing touchdowns from its four kind of key guys in the backfield. Yeah, uh, and I was thinking about this. It's like the the cliche thing is people are going to call them like the four horsemen or or anything like that. I think with it being Pinkerton, we should call them the four spacemen. Does that that work for you? <laughs> it works for me. All right. Good. Good. If you get a whole bunch of emails this week from uh, from Pinkerton Academy folks, though, <laughs> well, I mean, it makes. I mean, they're the Astros, right? The whole. The I whole, agree. Yeah. That you know, spaceman works. I think. I think it's a good call. Yeah. I think uh, I think you should put that on your website as well. <laughs> really start pushing it on Twitter. <laughs> Ask Coach well, O'Reilly we'll how he yeah, feels. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll yeah. We'll, we'll just. This is the soft launch. We'll see how that how yeah. it goes. Um, you know, I, I guess I, I it, that that outcome. You know, with with Salem. You know, being able to hang with Binkerton, uh, the way that they did. Um, I know. I know it took a you know an onside kick at the you know late to get it within one score, and you know they were trying for another one. Um, but that really kind of you know really not that I wasn't interested to begin with, but kind of really piques my interest even more with what this Salem Londonderry game is going to look like on Friday. Yeah, right. I agree. It sets up an interesting matchup there. Um, you know, again, kind of looking at common opponents and things like that. And again, we've talked about Salem, Salem kind of quietly, you know, similar to what I said about Plymouth is a very, very good football team this year and a, and a good younger football team. Uh, I think in some cases, but 
Yeah, you're right. Pink, Pinkerton did their thing where they they were able to spread the ball around to their different uh, four spacemen. Um, <laughs> and and really, the impressive thing for me, the times that I've seen them, and, and it did stand out this past Friday night too, is is Tim Tim Hersom, um, who I think had one of those rushing touchdowns. Um, yes, he did. At, as Pinkerton's quarterback, he kind of bootlegged out, uh, going to his right and was able to score, uh, in the corner of the end zone. But he also had, I think like a 96 yard touchdown hookup with this time Morrison, uh, last week he had hit, uh, me for two touchdowns in the 40 to 50 yard range this week. It was almost the exact same play, but, but to the other side, which meant the other wing back was the one releasing downfield and he hit. Morrison and stride, you know, kind of play action on their own three or four yard line. And it was off to the races 96 yards later. I mean, again, you don't think a lot about Pinkerton quarterbacks as weapons because they don't use them that way typically. And there, again, right. there's nothing wrong with that. I think, I think the wing T is a very, very good offense, especially the way that they run it, but they usually kind of manage the game and they do some faking and, you know, they'll bootleg occasionally that kid's pretty good. He's really come into his own um, in, in the in the second half of this season, and uh, it makes Pinkerton even more deadly. Well, the biggest thing, um, you know, that win gives Pinkerton, um, you know, even closer or even more of an inside track to getting the number one seed in the division. Uh, you know, that their their points point total is, uh, you know, quite a bit higher now than uh, Bedford's or Portsmouth Oyster Rivers and. You know, given that those two teams are, are, are playing opponents who don't quite have the win total uh, of right. Londonderry or Salem, um, you know, I think that's Pinkerton, as long as they take care of business against Manchester Central, pretty much will wrap up that number one seed. Uh, and then it'll it remains to be seen which of the where the other two end up, given what they do this week. Um, you know, but but, you know, speaking of Portsmouth Oyster River, I mean, you know, there were certainly a couple of games this week that when you saw scores kind of coming in over social media that you, you know, raised an eyebrow over, uh, but their game against Merrimack was probably, you know, you might've raised both eyebrows looking at that one uh, because Merrimack had what a seven, nothing lead for most of the game for, for a good while. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, just really surprising there. Yeah. I think it, it might've surprised just about everybody except Merrimack. Yeah. I, I I think Merrimack has really felt really strongly about their defense all year. And, and I think with good reason, um, but this was a huge test for that Merrimack defense because in Portsmouth, you're talking about a team that regularly puts up, you know, four, 30, 40 points a game um, on average. And, and, you know, like you said, Merrimack kind of struck first. Um, I can go through it a little bit. Cause I, I, I did, I did watch the game and I took some notes, but um you know, really what impressed me the most, especially after seeing Portsmouth a couple other times this year, uh, I forget what the what one of them was. I, I distinctly remember watching them against Exeter. Um, but they've got that running back combination of Cole McLaughlin and, and Brooks Connors, who, I mean, these guys are like, you know, they're like college tight ends. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're big physical kids. They really took it to Exeter a few weeks ago. Um, and, you know, and, and you and I both know a very well-coached, very disciplined excellent traditionally excellent exeter defense um those guys were just you know mountains in that game and merrimack's defense did a really good job controlling them 
Um, not to say they didn't get their yardage here and there, but they certainly weren't running free into the secondary and, and, you know, kind of bowling kids over for another two or three yards. Like they, I had seen them do earlier in the season. So I thought Merrimack played really good defense. Um, you know, the turnovers didn't help, right? Portsmouth kind of opened the game, fumbling away its pers- first possession of Merrimack, you know, on their own 26. And then Brown scores for Merrimack on the very next play. But, but you know, kind of how Merrimack's offense has struggled a little bit this year, it was called back on a procedure call. Um, <laughs> so kind of a gut punch right. to Merrimack. And, right. and then, you know, they have they had a couple bad snaps. They had more than a couple in the game, but they had a couple bad snaps that resulted in a loss of, 25 yards um, with Portsmouth recovering the second one. But yeah, I mean, I I think Merrimack had their opportunities during that game to get the win too, Joe, you know, um, you know, they hit Logan Dave, who, who I think is a great player on both sides of the ball for a 26 yard touchdown. That was the, that was the seven to nothing score. Logan Dave later got a pick, um, and Merrimack had two attempts at field goals that, you know, would have kind of extended that lead a little bit, and maybe put a little bit of a, a thump into, um, into Portsmouth's confidence. Uh-huh. And they missed both of them. Well, one of them, I think they had, uh, I'm trying to remember what the deal was on the first one, but the second one, uh, was no good. It was wide left. Um, so two field goals that were missed opportunities that were missed in terms of you know some things on offense like like bad snaps or what have you you know if if those things hadn't been there i think merrimack wins that game that's crazy um like i said a called back touchdown um on that first drive and then and then two field goals that you know were were not chip shots but were probably probably doable right uh you know, and, and the, again, the field conditions weren't awesome. It was a little rainy, misty at times and things out there on Friday night. But um, yeah, they were that close, I think, to I think they were that close to kind of upsetting Portsmouth legitimately. Um, and, and and a lot on the strength of some timely play from uh, Logan Day on offense and, and the, the, the defense just holding really strong against what I think is obviously one of the better offenses in New Hampshire. You know, this is crazy, too. I was just thinking, you know, I know these two teams played each other in the playoffs last year, right, Uh, with Merrimack getting the win. And I was thinking to myself, I I wonder Merrimack just gives Portsmouth trouble at times. So while you were were talking there, I was looking back through, you know, um, previous records. I think this is, you know, since Portsmouth moved up to Division One before the 2014 season, uh, you know, when Merrimack has bounced around, had bounced around to different conferences, you know, before the the restructure before last year. Uh, and because of that, they just haven't aligned. I think this is only the fourth time they've played each other in the last 10 years, mm. which is, it, it doesn't seem like, like even not being in the same conference feels like not a, a, a lot to me. Like they, they should have played a few more times. Right. Uh, but just that, that history wasn't there, but, and, and Merrimack had won, um, all three of those previous games. I don't know I, what that, that, I don't I know what exactly what that means, but uh... <laughs> well, yeah, it's like you said. It means that for whatever reason, Merrimack seems to have their number over the past sure, few times. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, not a 
not a victory for Merrimack this time, but like you said, I think kind of a kind of an eyebrow raiser. Uh, and, and, you know, honestly, Joe, probably an eyebrow raiser for Portsmouth Oyster River as well. Um, you know, you, you, I, I think sometimes you need those games. I mean, obviously you don't want to lose those games, oh, but right, if you, yeah. if you have a tough battle in a game that you, you know, probably the a large amount of people would have expected you to win more handily. Um, I think it has a really great impact on you getting grounded and back down to earth and saying, Hey, you know what? We can't just think that we're going to roll here. We have to continue to be focused. We have to continue to stay sharp. So I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure that Portsmouth is using that game as a positive in terms of saying, Hey, look, we, you know, we still have a lot of things we need to work on. And there's a lot of good teams that are waiting for us out there, uh, as we head into the playoff season here. Probably, uh, probably bad news then for for Timberlane having to play Portsmouth next week. I, I imagine they'll uh, be fully focused on on that one after uh, again, like what you said, just you know, getting uh, I guess snuck up on by Merrimack. Yeah, and for Timberlane, and, and again, I don't I don't know the scenarios like you do, but I would imagine you know this is a very important game for Timberlane because this would be kind of critical to their playoff hopes i would think I, right I, it's going to be yeah if they don't win i think it's going to be tough for them to get in right uh, but, so we'll, we'll uh, you know so yeah tough for timberlane because you know portsmouth's going to be kind of coming out to prove a point but equally tough for portsmouth oyster river who knows they're facing a timberlane team that is used to being successful that might be fighting for their playoff lives coming in. right yeah yeah uh so uh, again, the I guess the two games we kind of got our eyes on, um, you know, in D one, be that Salem Londonderry game, Dover Exeter. Those are kind of the two big ones. Um, any other thoughts on on Division one though before we uh, we kind of move on to D two? No, I don't think so. I you know I I I it's like I say it's like I say every year. I can't believe we're headed into the last week, <laughs> but and I think we highlighted a lot of the key matchups that are coming up that where there's still some things to be determined and. Uh, I'm I'm just looking forward to seeing how yeah. that all plays. One um or two other ones I do want to yeah, mention real quick too. Uh, Alvern uh, with a shot to get in as well. Um, they've got a, a game with Goffstown coming up on Friday. Um, that's a huge one. Uh, Wyndham, you know, should Timberlane or Spalding or Keen or or Alvern trip up, Wyndham plays Concord on Saturday. They've got a shot at uh, at getting in still, um, even with their struggles. And then, yeah, and then Spalding and Keene also uh, with, with games that uh, Spalding has Winnicott and Keene has Memorial uh, opportunities for those programs to get in still uh, as well Yep. in D1. Uh, well, D2, we had, uh, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit about the, the Plymouth-St. Thomas game that was, you know, is key to the, uh, the East Conference standings. And we had probably the, the game that everybody's been looking for forward to this year on the West uh, Conference side, uh, and that was uh, Sauhegan at Pelham, uh, you know, a game that, that uh, Pelham was able to win 40-21 uh, to 21 in what was really felt like a roller coaster ride uh, to me. You know, you had Pelham come out, uh, get three touchdowns in the first quarter, two off of turnovers by Sauhegan, uh, one of them a, a strip sack fumble recovery, by Memphis Patterson that he returned 26 yards for a touchdown. Uh, that gave Pelham a, a 19 to nothing lead. Um, Sauhegan was able to kind of weather the storm uh, a little bit after that, even though Pelham 
uh, scored again to go up 26 nothing in the second quarter. Sabres got a, uh, a three-yard touchdown run from Romy Jane with, uh, with no time left uh, in the second quarter to get on the board. And then they pulled the double score. They got the kickoff to start the second half. Uh, scored on that one for a touchdown pass from from Jane to uh, to Brody Smith. Uh, made it a two score game. I, I, it made it twenty six to fourteen because Pelham had had some issues on the first two uh, point afters, so they they ended up missing those. Yeah. Uh, so it's a you know after all that happened in that first quarter, it's a twelve point game. You know, early in the third, Sauhegan gets a stop, get the ball back. Uh, looked like, hey, maybe we can cut it to one, and then the offense just couldn't get going from there. And Pelham was able to put the game away. And, uh, you know, in in what was kind of a, a you know, on paper and, and certainly, in, in you know, um, in, in person, a, a convincing win, I think, over Sauhegan. Yeah, I, you know, we talk a lot about when we're surprised about things. I'm I'm, I'm definitely surprised at the way that it went. Um, I, I thought, and, 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 you know, it's, it's one contest and you're almost assured to see them play again. <laughs> that's, but having, uh, that's the hope. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, you know, having seen um, these teams this year, I, I kind of thought the gap between them was, was a little smaller than that. Um, you, you know, I have a question for you. How, how did, um, how did Sauhegan's running game fare? Uh, were they, they were they kind of forced to throw the ball around a lot, or or they were they able to get JJ going? A they bit? were. I think part of the the you know going to the pass more was just because of of how what the score was. Um, you know, yeah. they're playing catch up. Yeah, they, you're, you're they, down. You're down three scores quick. It's, yeah, yeah. They yeah. did struggle to run the ball. I think between the tackles, you know, in the middle of the line was was tough going. Um, yeah. When they were able to get outside. Um, you know, they had a little bit more success, you know, in running the ball outside, but, um, they did have a, a tougher time up the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. Cause that's a lot of, you know, Pelham's Their strengths. strengths yeah. Them. Right. Up, right. Yeah. And, and obviously if you're Sauhegan and you have one of the best backs in the state, you want to test that. Um, and, and I think it's wise to test that, right. To see if you can find a crease and get something going there. But, uh, yeah, I was just curious because, you know, I thought, I thought Sauhegan, um, you know, again, has one of the best backs in the state, probably in, in JJ Bright and Pelham has one of the best run defenses in the state. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a matchup I was really interested in. Cause I think, I think both are, both sides are phenomenal. Um, and so it's kind of like the, you know, the, the, the immovable force against the, whatever, whatever the old saying is, the, right. Uh, but the, the, yeah. The, I, the, I don't remember. I know what you're I know what you're talking yeah. about. And I can't remember exactly how it goes. Right. We've probably got a, a, a dozen people yelling at us right now. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> it's, right. This, it's this, you idiots. I know. I just can't. I can't remember yeah, it right yeah. now. Um, but yeah, certainly. That to me was one of the exciting stories of that game. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, it was, it was, um, the, the, you're right. The, the, the start very, uh, was very, a, a bit of a surprise to me. I, you know. Um, not so surprising that Sauhegan was able to make it a little bit more interesting. Um, but definitely the, the way it, way it began was kind of, uh, was kind of surprising. Uh, yes. and yeah, I, I would, I would hope that, uh, hope that we get to see those two teams again. Uh, both have kind of interesting games coming up, um, to finish out the year. Pelham hosts Hanover, which, uh, is in desperate need of a win to get in the playoffs. I think, 
you know, they don't win that game. They finish four and four. I think they're on, uh, unfortunately, on the outside uh, looking in. And then Sauhegan hosts uh, a John Stark team that I think may need to win that game to get in, depending on what happens on the East uh, in the East Conference. Um, you know, with some teams over there that are all sitting, you know, not too far behind Stark. Right. Uh, and again, the 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 difference in games. You know, with with their with Lebanon not having a varsity program this year, all the teams on the West only have eight games that count. Whereas, you know, most of the teams on the East have uh, have that ninth game. Um, and, you know, they've been beating each other up on that side. So the point it makes the point, you know, distribution a whole lot different than on the West. Yeah. Yeah. And can you imagine? I mean, not to get too far off track, but can you imagine being John Stark and and being what are they five they'd, and they'd two be, in New Hampshire five and, five and three potentially if they if they were to drop that game and then not get in yeah and then not get in right it 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 brings me back to my second year at Sauhegan and you and I remember you you wrote the article that said Sauhegan did everything they needed to do uh, tonight by beating at the time we had beaten Pelham beating Pelham you know set themselves up. And everything kind of depends on how the tiebreakers go now. And we we lost we lost out of a playoff berth, you know, at five and three, on like the third tiebreaker right, or something. Right. In fact, I remember I think you explained it to me. <laughs> you were like, "Yeah, this is kind of this is what's going to happen." And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's." Uh, I should no, I should give sucks. a class on, uh, on exactly. tiebreakers. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that does set up an interesting matchup there. I mean, Stark has had a really good season this year, and. Um, you know, it's tough to have uh, a team as good as Sauhegan kind of being the one that might stand in your way. But I don't know. They've been scrappy. And um, and, and obviously, Sauhegan isn't completely infallible as, as great of a football team as they are. Um, I, I actually think that becomes a very interesting game now, especially if you're John Stark. You've had such a great season. And you're, again, like we talked about earlier, and now you're going in there fighting for your life, kind of like what we said about Timberlane. Um, right. You know, you, you get a little bit of a different attitude uh, if you know that you're fighting for your playoff life. And sometimes it's it's sort of that cornered animal thing where you come out swinging and other times it can get you tense a little bit. So it depends on how they come out. You know, the other other team that, that we just mentioned um, that uh, is in desperate need of a win uh, in Hanover, um, you know, they're they're in that position after uh, a 37-28 loss at home to Guilford Belmont. Uh, which was a, a huge win for for Guilford Belmont, um, you know, and they got some uh, great contributions there from, you know, a lot of different guys. Logan Grant had a big game, Noah Harder, uh, Hutch Haskins, uh, Anakin Underhill, uh, two touchdown passes, ran for two TDs in that game, you know. So so that kind of, you know, as, as one team kind of gets put behind the eight ball, Guilford Belmont there put themselves in a fantastic position. Uh, although they finish out with a, a tough game against St. Thomas, um, you know, a game that the, that the Saints could certainly use to try to, you know, maybe move themselves up and, and get uh, potentially the, you know, the fourth seed and maybe a home playoff game if, if Sanborn slips up against Plymouth. Um, but, you know, that was, uh, that was, I think, one of the, again, another outcome from this weekend that was a little bit, a um, little bit of an eye raiser just given you know, how teams in the East had beaten each other up and, and Guilford Belmont kind of looked like they were maybe, you know, left by the wayside there. Yeah. Guilford Belmont, I think this season has been the perfect example of, of 
what you've been saying for weeks now, which is they 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 all sort of beat each other up. You know, if you look right. at their you look at their schedule this year, it's been loss, win, loss, win, loss, loss, win, win. And and against I mean, they just, against so much like varied teams too. Like yes. they've, got, they've got wins over Sanborn and, and again Hanover, but then losses to you know Laconia and Bo and Kennett. Right. Um, just yeah, just a, a strange year for for the Golden Eagles. Yeah. So it it makes this matchup against St. Thomas uh, this coming week, which I think they're hosting that game. It makes that matchup really pretty interesting because St. Thomas had been on a, a three game tear um, prior to, to that great game against Plymouth this week. Um, so, you know, did that take some of the steam out of St. Thomas's forward momentum or are they going to come out charged up, ready to go? Cause they're sitting at, what did we say? They're at um, five and three, I think. Right. Yeah. Five and three is right. Yeah. So again, pretty important game for them especially given the way that this this division 2 race has gone. And then the uh the other two teams in the east that uh that are I, th- I would say are still alive, very much alive in the playoffs. You got Kennett uh that has had a, a up and down season. They open up 4 and 0 and now they've lost their last four. Um they end the year uh with a home game against Hollis Brookline that has struggled mightily this year. Uh, so you gotta, I mean, you gotta think that that's a, a get right game for Kenneth. They win that and get in. Um, that would be my guess. And then for Bo, uh, also sitting at four and four, um, they've got a, uh, they finish off with a home game against Laconia that I, I don't know. They're, they're another team that, that, you know, lost the game, uh, because of, you know, um, having Lebanon on their schedule. So they've got one less game to, to go off of. You know, a win for them. I don't know if that gets them in. Um, it, it it's possible it could, but uh, certainly Bo also needs that game to, to improve its chances. Yeah, Bo has the mirror pattern of of Guilford, <laughs> which was, you know, Bo's had loss, loss, win, win, loss, win, loss, win. The yeah, uh, you're right. The uh, at that same record, but kind of the kind of the mirror of of Guilford, and you know, talking about um, about Kennett. Again, speaking of weird patterns, right? Four and four and four and and opening up four and oh, it was really that Valley game this week that kind of threw a wrench into that, right? I mean, that was a game that they probably should have taken Valley coming into the game as a two win team, although they had beaten Bo Valley uh, a couple weeks earlier. So Kennett losing that game to Valley, I mean, and, and losing in convincing fashion right Right. it was 32 to 7 um yeah kind of kind of puts them in a yeah like you said probably a get right game against hollis but you know you could also argue they 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 may never should have been in that position um, to be counting on that game at the end of the season as a win so yeah it's been it's definitely been as you predicted i think joe uh, kind of a everybody's sort of beaten up on everybody and who's going to be left standing with the least bloody nose at the end of it all. I, I'm, I'm not going to take a guess at this point because it's no, no, I think that's probably why <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll save that again for later in the week. Uh, um, you know, and, and then I think in, in divisions three and four, um, you know, it, it comes down to just a couple of games. Like, you know, we were saying earlier, four teams get into the playoffs from from each division. 
Um, you know, and looking at the standings in D3 right now, it, it's, you know, Campbell and Trinity are, you know, I think we're, we're pretty certain they're in. Interlakes, Moultonboro, uh, I would, you know, I would say, yes, they're in as well at this point, which kind of leaves the door open for, you know, just a couple of other teams. Right now, Fall Mountain's sitting there at 5-3, and three, uh, but they host Campbell uh, Friday night. And then uh, Monadnock looks to be the next team, um, you know, waiting there for Fall Mountain to slip up. They host uh, Kingswood on Friday. Um, so, you know, those two games, I think, are the two key ones in the division. Stevens is also right there, um, you know, but they're finishing up the year. They have Trinity this week. So certainly a, a, a tough task for them to try to win that game and get in. Um, certainly not impossible, but, you know, would, would be quite the upset, I think, if they did, uh, if they did pull that one off. Uh, but right now it looks like it's either going to be Fall Mountain or Monadnock. Um, and, you know, if it if it in, ends up being Monadnock, I think, uh, you know, you go back to that first game of the year where the Huskies came back, uh, scored late against Fall Mountain, forced overtime, and then won it in overtime, on a, I think on a two-point conversion, if I remember correctly. Mm. Uh, so, you know, going all the way back to the first game of the year to determine – uh, you know, playoff, uh, who's in the playoffs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you hate to think that that, uh, a week one matchup would have that impact, but every game counts as they say. And, um, that certainly would certainly would make a big difference. It's, uh, you know, it's inter- it's an interesting division to look at because I think aside from Campbell and Trinity, it's not too dissimilar from, division two where you've got a lot of teams that have sort of beaten up on each other again, not quite to the same extent, but you know, one of the things that really kind of threw an interesting, uh, you know, different chip on the table, so to speak, I guess was, was, you know, Conval, um, playing much better this season and actually getting that 26 to eight victory over Monadnock in whatever it was week five or six, I think, um, or four or five, maybe, you know, that ended up being, kind of a kind of a tough loss in the middle of a, a midseason skid for Monadnock. Um but again that that's also kind of a difference maker uh when you're talking about who that that other team might be. Certainly uh, certainly going to be an interesting finish there and then uh an interesting finish in division 4. Um you know it, it's it's pretty much the a similar situation, you know, we look at the standings, we know you know Newport Summersworth Raymond, all teams that have I, I have likely clinched playoff spots. I can't imagine uh, any of them at this point not getting in. I, I don't know how that would work out. Um, again, need to take a deeper look at the scenarios, which kind of leaves, um, you know, three teams. Well, well, I guess within those three at the top, you've got Newport and Raymond playing this week in a game that, that'll, you know, go to determine some seeding, I would imagine. Uh, but the game of the week to, to keep an eye on to see who gets in uh, has got to be Bishop Brady at Franklin. You know, right yep. now Franklin's sitting at 3-3 three and three, uh, with that final playoff spot. Brady uh, right behind it, 2-4. and four. Uh, You know, they, you know, Mescoma Valley's in between the two of them in the standings, but, you know, Brady wins that game. They, I would imagine, jump over everybody and get that final spot. And certainly if Franklin wins, um, that would be uh, a clincher for them to, to get it, that fourth seed in the playoffs. And I think that would be a huge thing for that program as well. 
Yeah, certainly, you know, in, in terms of kind of turning things around and, you know, I think we've talked a lot about at the, at the division four level where every single kid counts, you know, you have one of these sort of comeback seasons or a, you know, a season where you're, you're on the uprise, you might get three or four kids out in your program who were excited that the team made the playoffs or whatever uh, for the first time in several years that it, it, it is, it's, I think, it, I think making the playoffs in division four, for example, is a much bigger deal for the future success of the programs than it might be in division one or two, for example. Right. Um, right. Cause the, the excitement that gets generated within the school um, around the, with the athletes and stuff who might've been on the fence about playing might be like, wow, yeah, you know, playoff football. That's awesome. I might, might throw my hat in for next year or something. And it, it is, it's a big deal for these programs that have been trying to rebuild. Right. Right. Well, I don't know. Any, any final thoughts uh, from you before we wrap it up this week? No, I'm looking forward to this last week though. You know, we've, there's been so much work, uh, hard work put into this season by the coaches and the players. And, you know, we've, we've seen and read about and gone to a number of different games and, uh, I'm I'm excited for playoffs to begin, but I think there's still a lot to be done in this last week, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, still a lot to to be determined. Um, you know, hopefully we'll have uh, have all the answers for you when we uh, we reconvene next Monday uh, for this, and uh, you know we'll be talking not only wrapping up a regular season, but talking some uh, some playoff previews as well. Uh, yep. hard to believe, as we always say, hard to believe we're always already at this point. Yeah, but it's also like it's, it's it's the best part of the year, man. I love I love when we get down to this point yeah. and it starts getting starts getting really intense, right? It's it's uh and and again, right? If if it's anything like last year's playoff season was, we're going to have a really good time. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yep. All right, well Mike, thanks for uh joining me again this week. Absolutely, thanks for having me. He is Mike Lockman. I'm Joe Marchalina. Enjoy the games this week and we will talk to you next week.